Hello and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to have Amy Rowlandson, who is the podcaster on running Focus on Why. And Amy, uh, would you mind giving 60 to 90 seconds on your background, please? Okay, well, thank you very much for the introduction. My name is indeed Amy Rowlandson. And have a fascination for understanding what drives people in life. And working with coaching clients, the question that we always come back to is why. And that is why I have a podcast with Focus on Why, because having this podcast makes sense for me as I spend so much time over this one question and have done personally myself. And as a coach, we focus on the why people do what they do. And we find the clarity in why they're doing what they're doing and helping them with a purpose and a plan to put it into action to, to achieve what they want in life. So that is what I do mostly at the moment. I'm also an investor. So I invest in property and I've built up a portfolio of HMOs, which are house, houses of multiple occupation. And I've spent the last 14 years investing in property and other investments as well. Excellent. Well, People with a purpose tend to outperform people without one. When did you first realize that it was really critically important for you to understand purpose for yourself and for others? So that was on the 23rd of June, 2016. And I don't know if you remember that particular date because that was the date that Brexit was announced. And I then realized that I was a part of somebody else's plan. And I didn't have my own plan. I had been drifting. I was working for a company and I was really enjoying it. But I realized that I was part of something else and they, I wasn't part of their long-term plan. And it was that point that I realized I'd been ex existing. I wasn't living and I'd been drifting for years. So I then started to look into this and take responsibility for my own life. And what that led me on was my journey of huge amount of personal development, a huge amount of reading, hundreds of books. And from there on, I could not look back because I now knew what I was capable of. I, I gave myself a huge amount of confidence, took that responsibility to shape my own life. And with that, I was then determined to look around me and see who else was just existing and not living and pull them kicking and screaming along with me or willingly if they if they chose to do that but it was very much a case of once I now knew what I knew I, I couldn't sort of turn away from it. Excellent have you read Napoleon Hill's Outwitting the Devil? Oh I haven't read that one but I've read other books of his. Okay very interesting it was a book that had been kept under lock and key uh, for about 70 or 80 years after his death because it was viewed as being very controversial but one of the bits of the devil's trick is to find people who drift and who don't have a purpose and then to look for fear in them because fear is a huge obstacle if you allow it to hold you back. That then drives becoming a victim of bad habits, uh, which is a guaranteed recipe for doom and gloom. Unless you can self-determine the direction of your life, then you're going to struggle to differentiate and if you're afraid of fa uh, failure and you don't have faith in yourself, then you're not going to be successful. So that echoes very closely your journey by the sounds of things. And I think one word that I want to pick out that you just mentioned was the word habits. They're crucial 
if you're going to if you're going to succeed you need to have great habits because it will make so much difference with compounding over time but just the focus that you have and and applying those habits the right habits over a period of time will pay dividends so to take the conversation into a practical sense practical realm if you have identified your purpose your why what are you advising your clients to do in terms of developing supporting habits? So it's a case of making them a daily habit. So I'm sure you've read James Clear Atomic Habits, where you start to build on existing good habits and then start adding the ones that are really going to hold you in good stead onto those existing ones. So for me, there's a great book, which is Hal Elrod, Miracle Morning. It's a very simple playbook and the premise is very simple. He has Lifesavers and that Savers is an acronym. So it's something that I sort of help clients with. You have to be careful because obviously I'm coaching. So coaching is very much coach out what's within. But if you then step into a mentoring space, you can sort of help people to show them the steps if they didn't know those. So I follow these habits myself and it's a sort of savers are silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading and scribing. And that's journaling for me in the scribing sense. Excellent. Well, I, I find, I've always found journaling to be quite a task. So I've discovered that by turning it into blogs and posts, then I get to journal that way, but deliver some additional value. But it, again, in my experience, journaling for uh, my clients has been a massive differentiator. The ones who don't journal, they'll get a 30 to 50% uplift in their sales. The ones who do will get anywhere between three and 1200%. So I can't stress enough if anyone is looking for a way to massively boost their performance, journaling is very powerful because even if you lie to your journal, you know when you reread it that you lied at that point and it keeps you honest. It's so true. You can't modify your memory because it's written down. And I'm on day 1,344 of consecutive journaling. So I'm in my fourth year. And I I just look back and what I see is I see the progress. I see the journey of where I was and I can't modify that with the the filters that I've now got now and with the learnings I've got. I'm looking back at who I was at that time and I'm recognizing where I've gone and who I've become on that journey. And that for me has just been so rewarding. Well, that's interesting. That then brings up the question in my mind, once you've found your why, what is the journey that someone goes through to discover who they were meant to be? Well, it's never too late to be who you might have been. So <laughs> um, for me, finding my purpose has, has always been aligned with my highest values, which are learning and educating, teaching. So I've always had those skills. And, I've, and actually, when you look back at the things I've done, they've always been in the things I've done, but I just didn't see it. I didn't have that clear path. And if I look back, all of these things now take me to where I am today. And I help people focus. And that's something that I didn't have necessarily was that focus. I was all over the shop. I was easily distracted. And I think that when people can focus and be in their flow, that's when they can really step up. Interesting. Okay. So in terms of discovering one's why, is there a process or a system that can facilitate that? Because it's a deep and philosophical question for many people. And you mentioned drifting. You know, if you're part of someone else's plan 
and you're drifting and you're just uh, skating along on the uh, you know on the ice without any direction it can be very difficult to find that purpose so what advice would you give people to discover it so victor frankl says it in his book that we humans are designed for finding their purpose they're built for purpose it determines who we are and the famous quote that he quotes of as it's not his quote it's frederick Nietzsche's, is he who has a why can endure any how so when I'm working with somebody and we're looking at what is their purpose, we're looking at different elements. And there's a really great concept called Ikigai. And I don't, don't know if you've heard of Ikigai yet. Yep. So Ikigai is fantastic. It's where you're combining what the world needs with what you're good at, what you can be paid for and what you love. So you're merging your passion with your profession, with your vocation and your mission. And it sounds all a bit wordy, but what it really does is it isolates what you love doing, what you're really good at, what the world actually needs, what problems you're solving for people, because essentially everybody else doesn't really care about what your purpose is. They want to know how it's going to help them. So if you combine your purpose with the the sort of the gratitude and the fulfillment of helping other people, that's when you can really help yourself find your own purpose. I recently took a psychometric profile called Motivational Maps. And what was very encouraging was that I scored 99% on motivation, which I, I think took both me and the people doing it by surprise. Um, but I, I think you've hit the nail right on the head. If you feel like the work that you're doing is important and meaningful and you're making a positive contribution to others as a social primate species, we derive enormous satisfaction from the service of others within our community. And if we have that as our prime focus, then work isn't work. I, I genuinely believe that for the last 17 years, I've been paid to play. And that's incredibly gratifying as well, because even though with the heat over the last few days, I've had three hours sleep, I've woken up energized and I couldn't wait to get started. And that's normal. So in your experience, when you find some help find someone's why, how does their outlook change? Oh, it totally changes because they are living a life of fulfillment and sort of more aware or self-aware. And when you when you have that sort of self-actualization, which I think is a state that we all aspire to, I don't think we ever actually get to that point because if we did, then you know. How would we continue to learn? So, we, you know, it's a, but it's always a game-changing point that we're, we're looking to do. But for people who are finding their purpose and living with purpose, and they don't have to be doing this on their own. They could be working in a company and still have purpose because they found a company that they can align with, that they have the same values and beliefs. So this, you know, it's not just all about becoming an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people think they need to become an entrepreneur to, to achieve their purpose. Well, it, it's really interesting the more I work with millennials and Gen Z age groups, the more I realize just how purpose-driven and value-driven those generations are. And it's starting to rub off on fusty old dinosaurs at my age because actually when you have better experiences and you're growing constantly, then it gives you satisfaction. And what that then tends to lead to are organizations where you have more engaged staff, which tends to then mean more engaged customers, more engaged suppliers. But I think one of the big challenges is that the whole 
concept of you know finding one's purpose for people of my generation is often a little bit tree huggy bunny cuddling hippie why are they wrong you said it earlier you don't feel like you're working because you enjoy what you're doing now for me that is purpose you you have a purpose in what you're doing so you don't need to overthink the word it doesn't need to be this sort of oh my goodness i've got this big life changing decision making purpose that's going to change the world. It doesn't have to be the case. It can just be something that sits well with you. If you are speaking to an executive, an owner, a leader who was facing this dilemma as to whether or not they should restructure, refocus their business to make it purpose-led, what advice would you give them and what evidence would you point to in order to demonstrate to them the genuine value of having a purpose-led business? I think I'd take them back to why they started that business and talk to them about what it was because quite often companies get so big that they forget what it was, why they started that business, especially in the higher corporate roles, the CEOs lose touch of what they're doing and they don't have that connection with their people. So again, it's going right back to the story of what that business is doing, who it's serving and why they are existing So, and really communicating with their people because If you've got your people on board and they understand why you're doing, they will go to extraordinary lengths to help you to achieve the goals because they they see the connection between their daily job and the outcome of the company as a whole. They see that attachment. And it doesn't have to be from a monetary value. You'll find people that will stay with companies because their values and their beliefs are aligned more so than their salary is great. And people leave a company if they don't feel like they're, they're worth their time is worth, they belong in that company, they're not valued. And I used to work in recruitment and I would find more people would leave because they didn't feel that they were valued in those positions than about the salary. Well, the research on this is borne out by both your and my anecdotal evidence that 80% of people leave their boss because they don't feel appreciated. They don't leave the job, they don't leave the company. With the younger generations, Gen Z and millennial. If they don't feel that the values align, you will have massive turnover. And it's tricky. I remember growing up and our generation was vilified by my parents' generation as being uh, lazy and ungrateful and whatever. And my generation levels pretty much the same kind of accusations that the next two generations uh, along, that they're fickle, they're flaky, they are entitled, that, and so on. And that just is not the case in my experience. If you tap into the individual's why, they are incredibly hardworking. They are committed. They're driven. And what I really like about those generations is that they are generally less self-serving and they are more orientated towards serving the greater good or their community and they're more team-orientated. I grew up in a generation which was very much about self-sufficiency and about taking personal responsibility, and people on welfare were scroungers and all this kind of stuff. And I I just don't see that. I, I think I've gone the other way to most people as they get older because I've developed more compassion, and I've probably gone from middle of the road right to more bang on the fence wishy-washy liberal. The things like compassion, things like humility, 
have really borne enormous fruit. And when I look at the best leaders, they have purpose, but what they bring with them also are compassion, humility, insight. They're open to criticism. They're open to the opinions of others. So if you look at most inspirational leaders that you see day to day, what are the common threads, uh, red threads that run through them? I would definitely say that they have that level of humility, that they don't need to be the one that takes all the credit, that they recognize the people who are within the organization. Yes, they may be shining the light. I mean, it's that whole, they're shining the light, but they're watching the people dig for them and they know helping them to do that. And it's very much a case of they are leading, they know their values, they're recruiting people who are sharing those same why. They're recruiting with the why and they're recruiting people who they know are going to be independently able to work. They're not micromanaging them. They're allowing them, they're giving them huge amounts of trust. Because if you have a trust in a company, you're going to allow them to fail, which is important. Allow them to take ownership, which is important. And then they will be creative. I think to build on that, it's important to understand that they let the individual fail in role, but they don't let the business fail. And it's, it, well, it's, it's a really important distinction because I think a lot of uh, managers and leaders operate from a supervisory pos- uh, position. That isn't managing, that's supervising. They don't get involved enough in ongoing training and development. One of the most powerful things that I've come across is in Ray Dalio's business. If you haven't read his book, Principles, it's a must. And what they have is a failure log. And you never get punished for failing in role. You do get punished for trying to hide it. And that's typically a sackable offense. But the objective is to capture those lessons and then share the lessons and have the humility, first of all, to admit it. um, Because I think that makes you stronger as a human being. And it also makes you more attractive because people who can't take constructive criticism about their role, tend to be very brittle. So today I had somebody connect with me and he used a very manipulative linguistic structure in uh, his uh, approach. So he used an embedded command, which I pointed out to him that I felt was manipulative. And his response was quite uh, hostile and defensive. And he suggested that my uh, pointing that out The intent was that thinking that he was inauthentic was worse than using an embedded command. And I thought that that denotes somebody who is very likely to be quite brittle. And they're not necessarily the kind of person that I would want to have in my business. I left the door open for him to come back. But with my response, by challenging that again, I didn't get any reaction from him. While he was perfectly willing to justify and defend Uh, his initial position. And so in recruitment, it's really good practice to establish what an individual's why is so that you can tie back their purpose and their their reason why to their corporate objectives, but also challenge and criticize the behavior constructively and see how they respond. Because if they react negatively, if they're defensive, if they justify that's probably what they're going to do in front of your customers. And that's probably what they're going to be like to work with, which means that they're probably not coachable, which is ironic, seeing as he was a coach. That's the one thing you should be looking for when you're recruiting someone is, 
looking to see what questions they ask back, you know, how could they grow? What opportunities are there for them? What could they do better? How could they improve? And it's, it's all about being coachable. So if someone genuinely has a purpose, can they typically express and realize that purpose on their own? I think a lot of people don't recognize the way purpose that we're talking about right now. So I think for a lot of people, there's, there's very different meanings and it, can, it doesn't matter. Some people go their whole life living a very happy, fulfilled life, but not necessarily knowing that they were living with purpose. So it's, it's a difficult one to say. I think that when you're interviewing people, I wouldn't necessarily be going straight out to say some, someone, so what's your why? You know, it, you'd go round it in, in different questions. You would, you'd ask questions that would demonstrate their competencies, demonstrate their, their sort of habits and their approaches in life. So taking that concept of drifting again, how do you spot when you are drifting? When I'm off track. So this is something that I I easily do. I've got a butterfly mind. I flip from things to things and I really have to then bring it right back down to the filters, my decision filters on a daily basis. And this is something that we sort of subconsciously do anyway is every decision or choice that we make. And I mean, there's been studies that say we make 35,000 choices and decisions in a day, which is huge. And it's going right back to that decision filter. Is this going to help me achieve what I'm going, my, my target is, what my goal is? If not, am I going to do it? And, and having those decision filters really helps me to make sure I'm on track and, and I am focused. So what do you mean by decision filters? So it's asking yourself simple questions. The simple questions are, again, aligned with your goals. They're aligned with your, with your purpose. And therefore, it makes you to make decisions easily. If it's not what you need to be doing, then you say no to that particular person who's come to you and asked you for something. You say, sorry, that's not in my field. I could recommend you to someone else. And I think it's just having that clarity of your own direction. And I mean, you're making daily decisions all the time without even noticing it. What things to say in a conversation? What what am I doing? What am I going to have for lunch? You know, loads of little decisions. But the decision filters I'm talking about right now are for the bigger decisions, for the choices that you need to make in in your business or in your personal life. And they are very much aligned with your life goals. I remember a few questions that I find very useful. The first thing is learning how to say no gracefully. And one of my favorite approaches is, thank you so much for considering me for this. Unfortunately, it would mean breaking another commitment, which I can't break. So on this occasion, I'm going to have to say no, but let me recommend somebody else. Now, I've never, since I learned that, uh, found anybody who's uh, treated it as anything other than a perfectly reasonable rebuttal. And we've parted on good terms. The other question I like to ask is, if I say yes to this now, what other commitment or promise will I have to break? And that's really important because if you are on purpose, then you've made a promise to yourself or you've made a promise to your family, people that you care about, your employees, your customers. And if it deviates, if it causes you to deviate from that purpose, then you are in effect breaking those promises. And this is one of the things that I've certainly come to realize over the years is that while I have a very large total addressable market, there are probably 3% of those people who are in my natural ideal customer space. 
And where I've taken customers on who are outside of that ideal, it's meant that I've then had to compromise on my service elsewhere. Or I've been asked to develop my proposition in areas that actually are non-core. And so I serve my core customers, my ideal customers, less well. So again, there is, you have the right to say no. You have the right to stay on purpose. But I think too few people really understand that they have those rights. And as a result, when those are being tested or ridden roughshod over, they don't know that they can enforce them. What are your thoughts in terms of people's rights to stay on purpose? I think you're right. I think you need to be so focused on who your ideal client is, because if anybody comes outside of that, they're going to distract you from doing well in your business because they're not going to be the right client. You're going to make, as you say, sacrifices. You're going to have, make compromises and that's going to suffer in other areas of your business. So I have a, a filter, which is I have a clarity session for my first session with clients and we set they set their own actions. If after two weeks, when I go back to them, they haven't fulfilled those actions, I won't take them on as a client because I know that they're not going to do what they want to do in their life. It's just, it's not going to work for them. I'm not the right coach. This is not the right process. So I will say to them, look, you haven't done those actions. You really wanted to do them. Why haven't you done them? And there'll be excuses and reasons. Well, they, that is not really the right person I want to be working with. So that's a filter that I have. That's very useful. And again, I've implemented, uh, I've slowed my whole buying process down uh, with customers. So I establish clear upfront contracts in terms of what's expected of them, what's expected of me, timelines. And I send them away to go and do certain actions. So one of the most powerful exercises, it comes in a pair. The first one is a default future. And you write out a default future statement based on where you will be in 10 years if you don't change and modify your behavior and change your outlook and your activity. And, you know, it's like a reverse dream board. So you pull off pictures from the internet of the shithole that you're going to live in and uh, you look at your health and um, the relationships that you're in, the experiences that you're likely to have, the job that you'll be in that you're hating. And you let that percolate for anywhere between two and four weeks after you've done it and keep revisiting it because that's your away from motivation. And then you write your ideal future. And that is like a, a verbal dream board with images and so on. And what I've found without exception is where people have gone, actually done the exercise then all of a sudden they find energy, they find their purpose, and they're reminded of why they want to do it. So then they're committed and then they take action. But if you don't go through that process of slowing the sale down, then you don't speed up the acceleration towards their goals. I totally agree. And the best way to predict your future is to create it. That was something that Peter Drucker said. So it's all about having that strong visualization. And you talked about having the, the visual images and also the words. And, and that's getting your left and your right hemisphere working, your conscious brain, your subconscious brain, because we dream in images. So why would you have a list of, of things that you want to achieve without the images that it doesn't come to life? So one of the things that I've always found incredibly challenging is goal setting. I've always found it an intellectual and unsatisfying exercise. What are your tips on that? 
So I I have a, a really good process, which I discovered several years ago and actually interviewed the founder of this goal mapping system, Brian Main, recently on my Focus on Why podcast. And he connects science with the process of having the left and the right hemisphere connecting by having your visual map with your images and also your words. And it's all about how, who, when, what. So you're going through, and obviously the why. So you're going through all of those questions and you've got your date stamp on it. Now, I think a lot of people struggle with time, time frames. I, do, I can't imagine what my life's going to be in five years. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years because things change a lot. So if you can't see yourself that far ahead, bring it back. But I'd still have that future vision. I mean, you, you just talked about it now, having that future vision of, of where you want to go, because if you have that, you're going to be a lot closer to it than if you didn't. So I do think that goal setting and goal mapping really works because you are connecting your current position to a future position and you don't drift. You have an aim. What I've done as a workaround, and I can't remember, and I apologies to the creator of this fabulous system, is I have dumb goals and smart behaviors. And a dumb goal is dream-based. So it's not constrained. You're, you're coloring outside of the lines and it should be what's possible, not what's probable. Even though you may think that it's impossible at the moment from where you are, you think big. It needs to be uplifting. And that means it needs to send a thrill up your spine. When you think about it, you genuinely find a source of excitement and energy. It needs to be method friendly. So you need to be able to break it down into processes and steps. And it needs to be behavior based. And this, I think, is the key. Because the only thing we can control are our behaviors. We cannot control the outcome. We can't control the number at the end of the month. But we can control the behaviors that get us there. And once you've created those dumb goals, then put smart behaviors behind them. And then those are specific measurable, attainable, repeatable, and time-bound. And I think you touched on something really important. Our brains love a deadline. They hate missing deadlines. So if you have a time frame for each of those behaviors and each of those milestones, then you massively increase your probability of achieving it. If you say by the end of next year, that's not really a timeline. So you need to be clear, specific and certain in the terms of the contract that you are creating with yourself. And that's exactly what it is. It's the most important contract you ever create, the one with yourself. And it's the one with your future self. Because where you are today, if you are not growing, you're dying. And the the problem is that too often people live, they exist, they don't thrive. I think When you find your purpose, certainly that's been the case for me and all of my clients who found that purpose. I was coaching a client of mine today who's in wealth management, and he's starting to evolve this purpose. And I look over the last four months of working with him, and the growth has been phenomenal. And he's much more uh, happy in his own skin. Uh, His clients and his prospects and his audience are really sensing it in him as well. So the level of engagement has shot up. And this is where we have to be really smart, that 
It's what other people say about us that matters in terms of our brand, because our brand is only one thing, trust. It's what they trust us to do, say, behave. And if you are not confident and comfortable in your own skin, then why should anybody else be? I agree. I think that the why keeps you on track. It holds you accountable for every action and decision you're making. And your story is fundamental. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you creating the business that you're then serving clients? Because yes, they could probably get that service elsewhere. Yes, they could probably get it for cheaper or different reasons and they could go there, but they are essentially coming to you for who you are and what you're doing and the problem that you're solving for them. So if you have that strong sense of purpose and you're leading your company that way, that's going to filter through to your employees, to why they, they can then talk to their clients and they're going to have a different story. They're going to be talking in a different way, using different language, and they're going to be listening. I mean, this is the, the most crucial thing in everything in coaching, in business, is to listen. Say again. Listen. <laughs> Couldn't resist. <laughs> Couldn't resist. <laughs> okay. Tell me something. What are you struggling with at the moment? What are you wrestling with? Okay. So I've just started a new business. I started a new podcast at the beginning of, of lockdown and I'm very aware of the steps I need to take. And I am so tempted to skip the steps and it's just rain them back, just lay the foundations. I mean, it's just, you know, it's so cliche to say this, but I just have to slow down to speed up. So I am struggling with knowing that I could, I want to be where I want to be and I want to be there now, but I just know it'll pay dividends if I slow down. Interesting. I was uh, coaching another client who's ex-Special Forces and the maxim they run is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And that whole piece around slowing down to pay attention and recognize that actually the journey is the important bit. The destination is just a byproduct. And to take your time, learn your craft. That's really, really key. Okay. Have you ever been blindsided? Oh, yes. Well, in property, you, you, I mean, I, and I think a lot of other people have unforeseens. And there are always unforeseens in renovating properties and refurbishing properties and working with builders. Whenever you involve contractors on a project, there are so many different dynamics that come into play. So yes, I have had a builder who has gone bust. I've had a builder who's walked off site and not done the work that they've been paid for working and they've been covering it up and had to undo projects. So I guess in that respect, it's been um, working with property projects that have really sort of swept the the carpet from underneath me sometimes, but they've been good learning, good learnings there. Absolutely. Failure is your best teacher. Nothing like a good drubbing. Big fan of scar fishing. What about in your coaching work? Uh, have you ever been blindsided by either a client or a situation in terms of finding purpose? Not yet. No, no that's been okay so far, but it's a relatively new business for me. So I'm sure there's some to come. <laughs> Excellent. That's a step. Uh, live in hope. <laughs> so what are you watching, reading, listening to that you absolutely rave about or you think is a must read? I have several books on the go right now. I'm just looking across at them. So I've got Traction by Gina Wickman, which is a reread. I've got Profit First, which is a reread because I've obviously starting my new business again. 
I've got, uh, let's have a look, uh, The Four, which is a new book called, by Scott Galloway. Have you heard that? It's, it focuses on Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Apple. Right. And that's an interesting one. A really good book, which I'm rereading again, which is The Microscript Rules by Bill Schley. And that's I'll start with that. Okay. Any podcasts, any videos? Yes. Well, there's this great podcast called The Inquisitor. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, and also, you can come back. <laughs> Actually, I will just plug it a bit because I know people will be listening to it. So, but they might have just found it for the first time, but because of hearing me being on this podcast, I might have brought my audience across. And just go back and listen to the episodes. There is so much value in this in the content. And you have such a diverse mix of guests and you really challenge them. You bring out incredible depth to the podcast. So definitely go and look at the other episodes. I really enjoy Disruptive Entrepreneur. Again, the interview side, which is Rob Moore, purely because I love the guests. I just love interview shows. So any, anybody who comes on that I would not have heard of because it's an industry that I don't know about, I love hearing different perspectives. So I look for that. There's a couple of um, female-led podcasts that I also enjoy, which is In Her Financial Shoes by Catherine Morgan, and then Entrepreneurs Get Visible by Anna Parker Naples. Fabulous. Well, my book recommendations, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill, is a really worth a read. The audio version is pretty good as well. I think uh, Loser Think by Scott Adams is interesting. He's, he's got a, a very interesting take on life. Marketing Rebellion is an absolute must. If you are, especially if you're starting a business or you're trying to revitalize your business, by Mark Schaefer, Marketing Rebellion. Fabulous book. And then I think I'd go back to the really good classic. So you've got Good Not Great by Jim Collins. And you've got Keith Cunningham's The Road Less Stupid. Ah, oh, marvellous book. Yeah. Top five. Brilliant. And Just, and Just Listen by Mark Goulston. Okay. If you haven't read that, it's a must. So yeah, we're doing a bit of a book off here. I like this. Um, going into um, Yuval Noah Harari. So you've got Sapiens and Hamadeus. They're great books. Lost Connections by Johan Harry. That's a really good book. He's also written Chasing the Screen, but I haven't got around to that one. And I'm just listening to Heroes by Stephen Fry, which is a follow-up book, which I loved because I love mythos. So that, they're, they're my sort of non-fiction book, Very my good. fiction books. Excellent. So how can people get hold of you? Well, LinkedIn's great. So that's really easy. It's just Amy Rowlandson. I've got my website, amyrowlandson.com. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, but all under Amy Rowlandson or Focus on Why. Brilliant. Amy Rowlandson, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and we'll be, I think we should do this again. Fantastic. Lovely. So this is me, Marcus Kauke, signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed the conversation, please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you'd like to get in touch, then email me at marcuskauke at me.com or m-c-a-u-c-h-i at sandler.com. And in the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.